that, don't they? For or or that feels very safe. Isn't that like part of the thing with sleep masks that there's like a human, like a base human need to be sort of like pressed? I know a guy who went on a yoga retreat and he's a very meat and potatoes kind of guy. And he was like, I was out on this yoga retreat in Indonesia with the lads, you know, it was, it was not really my, my kind of thing, but I was out there anyway. And you lie in there in Shavasana, teacher comes up, puts his thumbs in my eye sockets and just sends me into another dimension. <laughs> I felt so calm for about six months. <laughs> the best advert for a yoga retreat that I've ever heard. It's like Greg, the IT consultant from Edinburgh. <laughs> what, what I don't understand is why, like even, could you even hazard a guess at the explanation of how somebody enters another dimension from having <laughs> someone's thumbs put in their eyes? Because it sounds awful, to be honest. Because Shavasana's the bit at the end, isn't it? The nice bit at the end. Where you just get to lie down and have a nice like, oh, time. Thank fuck, Father. That's, <laughs> that's over. <laughs> and then they burn they burn some like incense and sing a song. And then someone comes and puts their thumbs in your eyes. Yeah. I think it's just vagal overload, isn't it? You you've done a serious practice and then because people have spontaneous experiences when they're like singing on stage and suddenly another dimension. So it seems to happen quite a bit. I'm so keen for that, to be honest. We're going, to hot yeah. pod, blah, blah, blah. We're going to hot pod yoga tomorrow. Do you think I can ask the person taking it, please, will you put your thumbs in my eyes at the can end? You just, they'll be like, yeah, well, it might send you into, into another dimension, but as long as you're okay with that, then we'll do it. If you're wondering what we're talking about, we also have a fitness podcast where we interviewed Daniel Ingram, who's an emergency medicine doctor who completed meditation. And he talks about mm. a lot of these in a very matter of fact way. And it's, brilliant so yeah. give it a listen like what happens when you hit when you reach the final boss and the final level and you're like oh my god what do i do and then daniel's got the answers like the the credits start rolling you unlock a new costume you you, you do <laughs> the shiny one there's a robin our yoga teacher that episode's really good oh yeah there's an episode with david about a 10-day meditation retreat there's an episode with you about your 10-day med 10 meditation retreat it's full, full of the stuff. It's rife. So is there not is there not one where you flew to the Isle of Man and did loads of breathing for? Oh yeah, with Stan Groff, and they claimed to you could re-experience your birth. Didn't happen to you though. No, there were people there that were thrashing about, saying they were like felt like they were coming through the birth channel and um, the birth it's canal. Hard to believe, isn't it? I know that you'd be sat there probably wanting that more than anybody else there. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know how inconvenienced you've been. Because you've flown, flown all the way to the island island in a little rickety all plane for this. All I want to do is re-experience my birth. Other people are, are, are experiencing that and I'm not. Can I just that, please? I had a real case of FOBO, to be honest. So fear of birth. birthing out. Yeah. If it, well, I suppose it would be faux mob, wouldn't it? Fear of... Famoob. Fear of missing out on birth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that common... That's really worked its way through society and now everybody's familiar with that acronym. So, if you've made it this far, welcome back. <laughs> Congratulations. Season two, Propane Business Podcast. Grow your online fitness business, as we tactically called it. 
to get those search results, which seems to work relatively well. Yeah. I'm surprised we're back, to be honest. I thought we'd have, we'd have just given up, to be honest. But well, we, we, we did are. last year until we got repeated messages. At least two of you asked us mm. to restart the podcast. So, and one so of those two are. people asked us twice. And that <laughs> was it. Had. That was the... We're like, well, we're going to have to now. That's three requests. That's the final straw. <laughs> so here we are. We're going to do are. something a bit different this time. We have segments that I think will be a bit more fun. We want to make this into your podcast because honestly, we pretty much covered everything that we can to do with growing your online fitness business. We've done mini series about lead generation, closing sales, software, productivity, uh, scaling, starting a new outreach, inbound, like just everything. So the full thing, rather than going over that, we'll open the floor to you guys, give you the podium, give you the chance to troll us on voice messages, which you can always do in the link in the description, send us a voice message and we will name and shame you. And to kick things off. Well, so yeah, so through amazing technology, what we've been able to do, this is now your podcast. So whatever you're listening through, we've been able to turn that into a speaker. (laughs) And now whatever you say for the next couple of minutes, that's going to be recorded. No, I, I'm joking. I am joking. It's just going to be collaborative. And Yusuf's about to ask me something to put me on the spot. I can see him drawing back the longbow. Yeah. Teeing up to embarrass me all <laughs> over the internet. So what we have is part one, this article that Greg has sent us about what it's like to be a bodybuilder drinking breast milk for the gains. It's so, not loading. It's, it's not loading. loading. There it is. It's loaded. This has become a bit of a thing, apparently, with bodybuilders. Recreational bodybuilders drinking human breast milk to get more gains. And so they're doing away with the cow milk, which, interestingly, they don't call udder milk. They just call it cow milk. But then they call human milk breast milk. And there's people, there's this woman who's been making six grand selling her breast milk online to bodybuilders. Uh, There's this guy who said that he was having sex with his wife and was trying to distract her so that he could quickly get a bit bit of breast milk from his wife. I wonder what like a a pint is. Because if someone's made six grand, like that sounds like a lot, but is that... Is that just like a couple of people who re- can't get their hands on it and they think, well, I'll pay anything? Or is she just churning out bottles of the stuff? You're wondering what the per mil cost the, is. The per pint. Yeah, it's like the you know the question they ask politicians. How much is a how much is a carton of milk at the at the shop? It's what's what's the equivalent um going rate for a, a bottle of human breast milk? I imagine the article doesn't say that. Um let's with a link to purchase. Yeah, it'll be it'll just be a affiliate link for her Shopify. Um, okay, so there's websites onlythebreast.com classified ads page for breast oh my milk. God. And oh, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to click on it, aren't you? It's gonna be on my history now. Here we go. Forever, Buckle in, everyone. Go. It'd be a bit awkward if that was a, a purple link. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, no, the no. only the only purple link on the page. <laughs> and then all the links in here are purple as well. Oh god, so I'm <laughs> the add to cart link. Looks like I'm on a, a watch list now, but there we are. So originally made for women to sell to other women, but now they sell okay. to bodybuilders. Wow. Wow. So I am convinced that the majority of people who buy this are not elite bodybuilders. I think there's four groups. I've been thinking about this, Johnny. <laughs> and I, I think there's, there's four groups of people who will buy human breast milk. So there are recreational bodybuilders. And this is the equivalent mm -hmm. of like taking NO explode, thinking it's the, the thing that you're missing when there's actually a lot left on the table with sleep and improving your diet and everything else. An extra day per week. And yeah, just everything else. There's the kinky folk who are just completely unabashed, just want to drink breast milk because it's their thing. And then I think number three is I reckon there are some extreme bodybuilders who actually don't fancy it. They're maybe even slightly repulsed by the idea, but they will do anything it takes to yeah. get that final couple of grams well, of muscle gain. If you're taking a lot of exogenous hormones, insulin, like I don't even know what else they might be taking, but but breast milk is off the table. That seems like, like the wrong way around to me. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that, you know, you actually, that's a question. final so, hurdle. Would you, would you explore breast milk before you explored steroids? So I personally know, and the reason I think for this is the re, the, the the core value offering of human breast milk from looking into the data, and I found a couple of studies on this, seems to be the IGF one concentration. So okay, this, which is what. Which is Give a, us the, the doctor explains simple terms. What fine. is IGF-1? So it's a human growth factor that is, you know, understandably in high concentrations in breast milk to promote a small human to get bigger. Bigger. And so this yeah. is then being exploited by the bodybuilding community who are adult humans that want to get bigger. Um, this so it, is a, would, would that not just self-limit? So I, I assume like it's a natural process we're playing with here, like consuming breast milk. So does that mean if a if a baby just continued drinking breast milk from, the, from the, the, huge. the day they started and they just don't stop, do, would they have an advantage over another baby? I mean, your mum would be exhausted. But like, well, no, now there's other ways to, to get it. So like you, your you baby, you decide, it. yeah, you're like, you know what? I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. Now okay. there's these websites and so there's another keep, consideration keep on the breath which is that you're asking me, would I, would I take breast milk as a supplement? It carries with it the same risks as any other body fluid from another person. So there's, there's fluid borne transmission of diseases that you could get. And I just feel like if you're buying it online, how no risk, you know, caveat emptor. It's, <laughs> you, <laughs> but well, here we go higher blood concentration of IGF-1 in Bavarian adults. <laughs> so they wow, did a that study. Is a niche study. <laughs> <laughs> but it does the job by the looks of it. Well, what, what the job being what? Increasing IGF-1 concentrations. Yeah. Uh, right. But then I suppose, as you say, would you drink breast milk or would you just go and actually take some take, kind of... Yeah, exactly. Growth factor. Because you're just trying to like time. manipulate something there, aren't you? 
It's like trying to get your creatine by just eating loads of beef. It's exactly that. And does anybody do that? It's a bit Probably. of a roundabout way to go to do it, isn't it? Um, and it's pro- I imagine it's the same situation of like you're trying to you're still trying to get artificially high levels of something, but you're you're doing it in a way that is natural. Whatever, however you define that, I imagine you have to drink a lot of breast milk by the time you've just consumed the same as one dose of IGF one that you would take as a an injection or however, however these things are administered. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, it's got lower protein as well than cow's milk. So does it, there's another consideration for you, but it's a weird thing to think about a human fluid as having macros associated with it. (laughs) I used to, I used to have a guy, you you know, the kind of person that in class would always like draw loads of knobs on your notebook. And Mm -hmm. there was a guy joined the pen 15 club. Yeah. At uni, he would love to just get hold of my phone and add a million liters of semen to my, my, my fitness pal and it would completely skew my average calorie intake for the week. And um, <laughs> it was a nightmare. What are the macros of semen? When it's a million liters, it gets quite... But what is what is my fitness pal put it in as? Like, what are the calories from as far as my fitness I think it was, concerned? yeah, a lot of protein, a lot of sodium. Then again, I, I don't... It's Delicious. a user-generated database, so we don't know how accurate yeah. it is. And as soon as you start Googling that stuff you're like retargeting your, your experience of ads on the internet's going to get quite weird quite quickly i imagine so best not to best not to if you do anything to a million liters the margin for error is really important so you've got to make sure that because otherwise yeah. those errors carry carry through and well it's, it's going to kill you isn't it? a million liters of anything is going to is going to kill you in a in a day which <laughs> in I one day. Is, yeah <laughs> <laughs> like you haven't got the time the means or the semen to be able to consume a million liters. I'm not sure that a million liters of semen exists in because five mils per ejaculate um, <laughs> on average. Let's say if you got every man in the world to try and produce as much as possible, like let's say 25 mils in a day times. It'll definitely exist. Four billion. Four. Well, straight away. Seven zeros. Okay. Okay. That's actually yeah. a. A billion liters of semen. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, that's a billion. No, that's a billion mils. It's exactly a million liters of semen. So that's every human <laughs> in the world wow. producing the maximum possible. Every You're assuming five per day, five events per day. So the reason I've said five is that you will have some people that are unable to produce semen. You might have people who are too old to unwell how these things were all considered in 25 mils per day like that wasn't just off the cuff uh it'd probably be five well because you're, you're gonna have these absolute beasts that can just 12 15 yeah so yeah the it's gonna be a note, real team effort isn't it this then it, yeah it'd be so how expensive would that be to coordinate like even trying to vaccinate the whole world was well i don't enough. know i feel like you're getting people to buy into something that's fairly beneficial for them what well, one person mean? has to go and drink it and then die so oh right yeah it's yeah that's a good point i just like, don't think like what is the even even stretch to its limits what's the content how much can a human stomach manage like it's going to be 10 liters maybe <laughs> maybe 
even like, I think ten, you're getting into dangerous territory with yeah um, diluting. But I'm talking about like, but well, but we're talking about it's it's dangerous because this person's going to die. So we're not worried about that. We're worried about the physical constraints that we're up against before you just start throwing it up again. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a very valid, disgusting. Point. So if these people didn't drink human milk, we would never have to have to have spoken about this. So exactly, it's it's completely their fault, to be honest. Just eight eight hours of sleep, four sessions a week, way creative. Well, hit your protein. Consider things like creatine, multivitamin. ZM. So on that note, I think the fourth group, fourth and final, we've got recreational bodybuilders, kinky folk extreme advanced bodybuilders and then i think we've got people who masquerade as bodybuilders but are actually part of group two yeah. the kinky folk but they're just a bit ashamed to say they don't want to talk about it and you raise the possibility of if it was packaged as a supplement mm -hmm. would that change the game and i think it would because there's not as much of it it's the same as like you pour milk on your cereal but you'd feel a bit weird like sucking it out of a cow's teat even though it's the same thing Unless that so, was convention. Yeah. Unless that's what everybody did. But yeah, you like we spoke about this yesterday of if as soon as my protein bring it out and what did you call it? So if it was called like Breast Max Elite, well, yeah. it'd be Breast Max for the standard one, and then you said In the black the, packaging that's been screened for all the people on the internet that have things in their breast milk that you don't want to consume. You have to pay an extra twenty quid. <laughs> but yeah, the um as soon as, because I think if you think about any of the supplements that are sold that people think nothing, never think twice about, if something came to the door in a brown packet from MyProtein or any of these brands, I just assume there's so much quality control in these companies that it's fine. It does make me worry because you, when you get the regular creatine and then you see that they, they've launched Crea Pure and it's 99.1% pure, you're like, well... What's my creatine then? Like, yeah. Well, Chris, Chris, Chris mentioned this to me about get the Crea Pure because it comes in capsules rather than tablets, and I can't find it on the MyProtein website. Unless so they, unless it's all Crea Pure now, they got rid of all the ones that's laced with all sorts of rat poison and impurities. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you've never it's, been drug tested. No, I can't believe that. Not once. You, you managed Just to not get worlds and. Yeah, but when you come like in the bottom half at Worlds, they're not going to drugs test you, are they? Why would they bother? I suppose they're not a very well-funded institution, are they? So I think it's also changed now. So that was like back in 2015. So I think that the rules and the regulations around drugs testing, because there was something about the US, USAPL weren't conforming to WADA's drugs testing. I think they were testing too often or something like that. So now the USAPL have... Um, been hived out of of the ipf and are now doing something else but the drug testing's definitely changed but yeah i didn't get drug tested but you did because you went to egbra power station <laughs> with delt delt striations and tricep separations and the guy with the blazer and the red badge on the clipboard watched everybody else come up and take their deadlift watch you take your deadlift and watch your shoulders like flare and pop out as, as the bar leaves the ground and things that guy's on drugs <laughs> <laughs> just because I shouldn't really have been in that weight category. Yeah, you were just in, weren't you? Were you like, oh, was that the 74s? Months. Yeah. Was that the, you were in the 74s? And I, I weighed in at 73.95 after dehydration. After like going backwards and forwards. Oh my <laughs> God. You were, you, are, you were the leanest I've ever seen you by a mile. 
it was such an unpleasant time of my life. <laughs> if anyone's anyone's listening and has been that lean, you'll instantly be like, oh, yeah, I know that headspace. It's grim. Can we get a photo pop-up of you, you being that lean? Yeah, I actually have one here somewhere. Um, it was when we were checking in. We've both been coached by Eric Helms at the time. We were checking in weekly and we were both reverse, or you were, you were cutting, I was reverse dieting. And I remember we were both in the phase where we were getting like calories added. So we we're getting like carbs added each week. And we would both sit, sit with the amount of carbs that we thought Eric was going to add next to the <laughs> laptop, waiting for the email. Oh. And then like the email would come in and go like, hey man, we'd add five, 10 grams of carbs. Like, oh my God. And like, yes. <laughs> straight oh, I, in. That, that, that has uncovered a memory that I'd... Mm. A trauma, oh, traumatic memory I'd forgotten there, which, yeah, exactly. So there was useless pancreas, by the way, if anybody missed that. <laughs> Just flashing up my pancreas. Yeah. <laughs> that was insane, me. man. It, I mean, the, the experience of being drug tested is a whole kettle of fish. Is that right? It's a whole kettle yeah. of fish. It involves, you finish your deadlift, as you said, the man with the blazer goes, son, come in with me. I think you better you come to, with me, son. You have to go into the toilet and then he watches you at waist level, we into a jar. Eye to eye, as it were. Eye to eye. <laughs> as, <laughs> as a way to make sure that you're not concealing urine in your rectum and passing it through a prosthesis. Which I think to do a max deadlift in that situation with a pouch of urine in your rectum would be, that would impact my performance negatively, I think. It depends Probably how much you care about yeah it depends how much you care about the urine staying in the bag i guess because i think it's going to impact your performance because so just to give an explanation that everybody's fully clear on what the way people have historically got around drug testing is bag of urine up your bum everything else is fake and then you you, you get taken straight off the platform as soon as you've done your third deadlift so you do your third deadlift get taken straight into this room and then you squeeze your bum, fake urine, drug-free urine comes out into a pot, you hand that to the drug tester, you pass your drug test while being on drugs. But you've obviously got a deadlift with that up your bum. And I see. And it's to stop you from doing your deadlift, quickly running to the toilet, then putting something yeah. in your bum and exactly. doing the drugs test. Yeah. yeah. But most people squeeze their bum when they deadlift. I think that's fair to say. <laughs> Like, I don't think I'm calling anybody does. out. Yeah, I'm going to get cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> I think, it, you know, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's heavy, especially the third one. It's, it's the heaviest you can do. So you'll you probably, it would probably come out of the bag and go down your leg, which is fine as long as you're not going to get drug tested. Yeah, that is true. But you passed your drug test, we should say that. I Yeah, I passed it. I think it was six weeks and, and you... You know, you going through. You sat there nervous, and you oh maybe the the impact way rhubarb and custard that mm. was three years out of date. Maybe like because of because of the fermentation process of it being in my cupboard, it's just turned into trenin custard, <laughs> <laughs> Diana Ball and custard. It easily happens. So, Johnny, Jonathan, yes, Yusuf, one sock cutter. He cuts socks two sock, cu sock cutters they both cut socks three sock cutters all three cut socks yeah couldn't agree more 
Can you just remind me how many you want me to of each one? One sock cutter. He cuts socks. Two sock cutters. They both cut socks. Three sock cutters. They all cut socks. Guys, what send I asked us a you the last message. time. Pardon? Send us a voice message, guys. Tell us how many I, sock cutters. I would like to know what the what is the error phrase that you're trying to create. Can you say that for me? Just right into the mic. Can you just say it, or do, or do you not know? Well, I mean, maybe find out. You listening to this podcast can can tell us if you can figure it Accidentally. out. Yeah. So sock fucker. <laughs> thinking it we're all thinking it <laughs> just because the pheasant plucker's friend is tardy mm. doesn't mean that he should be right behind, behind it just yeah his day just got away with him <laughs> <laughs> so we wanted to talk to you today about a very serious topic and so serious this is something that i i saw mark coles talk about it's a, it's a good point we see it a lot with personal trainers and it, it's our fault for following loads of pts online we see quite a lot of this it's our fault um that <laughs> people will often speak professor in a way to try and show off i guess the intellectual flex online but what it really does is if you're talking to margaret who's 50 who wants to get rid of her bingo wings and hasn't been to the gym before and you're talking about the leucine threshold and the fractional synthetic rate of protein synthesis and deep biomechanical concepts about external rotation of your hips during a R Romanian deadlift. All it does is makes people scroll past it and then go, well, I don't know what he's talking about and skip it. They don't go, whoa, he's so smart mm. and knowledgeable. Let me, let me hire him straight away. I'm trying to think of a, in fact, you know what? I can't think of an example. So I may have mentioned in the last season of the podcast that I've been playing a lot of golf recently. This is relevant, I promise. So the first golf lesson I ever had nearly made me stop playing golf because the pro who was teaching me used so many phrases and so many terms that I had just never heard before, didn't stop to explain any of them. And golf, there's quite a lot to golf in the first place. There's quite a lot to, to manage. And especially if you've never done it before, you stand there, swing the club, miss the ball, look like a total idiot, right? In the same way that a lot of people have that fear when they step into the gym for the first time, try a squat for the first time, try to lose weight for the first time, whatever. And all the terms he was using made me, honestly, just made me think, you know what? I Like, this isn't for me. Like, not, I didn't say that obviously to him, but that's the way it makes you feel. And I think everybody's probably experienced that before. Like this feeling of, I don't, I feel like out of place. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel stupid. I think that's the, whether you realize it or not, how a client feels when they see your post on Instagram or whatever, that's making all these concepts seem so, so complicated and makes them feel like they understand none of it. That it doesn't make them think, oh, I need to buy from them to understand all these things. I need to complete my masters in nutrition to be able to lose weight they just think that's clearly not that that's not the coach for me that's intimidating that's i may i feel alienated by this i'm gonna go work with someone who explains it more simply they're paying for the mark scheme 
not the study guide. Nice. Did so you're nice. you're a relatively experienced golfer as well. And no, now I am. Yeah. And this guy put you off, so you didn't book any further sessions with him. No, no, this was so this was like back at the start when I when I tried to get into golf. So I was like, I used to play when I was a kid. I had lessons when I was a kid. And then I thought, oh, I'd quite like to get back into golf again. Um, had a lesson. And this guy, I was like, what am I doing wrong with my swing? And just used all these phrases and all these numbers and stats. I was like, just answered the question like that and then didn't explain the terms. It's like you sit there and you're like, okay. And you don't feel like you can you can say, can you explain like every third word that you said there? You just think, well, I'm an idiot. I don't know what he means, so it must be my fault. And yeah, it's funny because the more experienced someone gets and the more of an expert you see, if you, you're talking to someone who is a professor of neurology or something, they'll actually be using deceptively simple terms to yeah. explain things because they understand the concept so deeply and they can synthesize it into simple fundamentals. And this is partly because sometimes we our brains get lazy and we think that because we know the word for a particular thing, that that means we understand the thing. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not true. It's just a symbol for that. And the real skill is being able to synthesize that and express it, get the concept across to someone who is a total beginner. And there's an amazing series on YouTube called, I think like Explained in Five ways or something oh yeah and what they do is they they get some expert in a field to sit down with a five-year-old and then a 10-year-old and then a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old like undergrad and then a postgrad and then a expert in their like eminent expert in their field and they have to explain that concept to do with you know machine learning or cryptocurrency or something like that in five different levels and it's fascinating to see yeah the 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 five-year-old version being i imagine the hardest one to i think together. so yeah because when they're speaking with an eminent expert they can just riff and because there's so yeah. much shared vocabulary they can get away with using these shortcuts that a layperson would be like whoa hang on let's go back to basic what you're talking about there's just not like could a client lose weight or become pain-free or hit a squat PB or anything like that without understanding the like the detailed version of what you're providing, probably. like the, Obviously, there will be some clients who want to learn all of that, but I think it's the one difference between this and golf is, or any sport, is I think people get into a sport and they do, as they get into it, they do want to learn the details and they want to understand it more and they want to like get better at the thing. People don't necessarily want to like improve their weight loss skill. They just want to lose the weight or they just want to achieve the thing and then get on with the rest of their life or understand how to manage their nutrition in a way that works around their work, their, their, their family, their holiday that's coming up. But they don't necessarily need to know why the diet's the way that it is or why the training's the way that it is because that's, that's what they're paying you for or a big chunk of what they're paying you for. So That's why they hired you to, yeah. to do all the thinking for you <laughs> so you don't, they can just get the result. But does it work from a marketing... So like... I always come back to this example of your of you buying the sex swing. <laughs> <laughs> so you just tried to learn. Was this like during lockdown? Yeah, this was my lockdown. You tried activity. to learn flares. Is that what it's called? You see my yeah. explanation. That's so it's the right, thing, isn't it? the it's thing that. that gymnasts do on exactly that. Yeah, that, <laughs> what gymnasts do on the pommel horse, where your legs are in a V shape and they are swinging around your body, and your hands are on the floor. 
So you have very to very difficult. Basic, yeah, I mean, it looks impossible. So <laughs> you have to your your legs are always for people listening. Your legs are always pointing up, right? And then yeah. they they start pointing up in a V, and then you swing them round while retaining that V, and they never touch the floor. And you you have to like swap your hands in and out of. Very hard that, to describe that, on a, in podcast. A lay, I mean, here we are like, encountering the problem. How do you explain something? How do you, how do you say flare to a five-year-old? Oh, <laughs> Difficult. Yeah. How do you explain but, flares to a blind person? So you you were sold like a, a swing that you attached to some... You, it's like a, a TRX that you attached to a swing in, in a public park next to some kids to practice your, <laughs> <laughs> your flares. But the way you were sold that wasn't like... Yusuf, here's the, here's how the swing works and here's like the way that the material we've used to make the strap and how it's connected together and all that sort of stuff. It was just like, I think you're having this problem. Do you want to buy this thing? And you were like, oh my God, yeah, oh, I want to buy yeah. thing. The, the, the least buying resistance to anything for 300 pounds mm. I've ever had, apart from like, you know, your boiler's on fire and you have to get it. So that's like a necessity, right? Like you need the house to be warm, but this is just pure fun don't need it would have been fine without it 300 pounds is not completely insignificant <laughs> like it's a mid ticket thing and i've never seen you just <clears throat> buy something that quickly yeah but again like you didn't need the detail you oh, didn't need the, the bca explanation equivalent you were just like oh i'm gonna buy the bcas it was a 10 second clip of a bloke using it and i'm like that in, that's what i need in my life <laughs> so sign yeah. me up and I could have seen that video and thought that's a weird, like some kind of like gif thing that someone's made. What the hell's this? You probably did see that video because um, we both get advertised the same things on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get products that are aimed very specifically at one of us. Although in fairness, we're, we're, we're probably quite similar in our buying habits because we're, we are the same person. We're just different skins of the AI that mm. is propane. Yeah, just with different settings tuned. Um, but it is all just the propane AI. But yeah, like I, I'll, I'll have seen the video and scroll past it and thought, I don't even know what that is. Isn't that cheating? Um, like I definitely wouldn't need that to do a flare, God. Um, and then you saw it and thought, that's exactly what I need. Like the way that it's communicated, the way that it came across, the, the way that it's solving your problem, that's exactly what I need. I realize online coaches aren't selling swings but it's the same idea that in no point in that was there any communication of the the detail of the design of how the thing was made. It was just like problem solved. Looks like it's made with me in mind. I'm going to buy that. That's, that's it. ultimately and it. That's the sensation that you want. And if you think back to that, it was a real pivotal moment for me looking at my own buying behavior and being like, ah, okay. <laughs> because the way that you buy things is how you sell things. And the sensation that you want to elicit in your leads is, oh my God, I feel seen. That is exactly me. That person is describing my problem mm. and they understand me and they're explaining explaining it to me in a way better than I could myself. And when you do that, it's just, you've you've completely solved the problem of, oh, but is this right for me? Because of course it is. Yeah. Do you know what time it is, Johnny? I it's, do. There's a clock in the corner of my screen. 15.45. Why did you lean? Why did you lean across? Oh, because there's a clock over there as well. Oh, right, I see. So I can't see that. It just looked like you were trying to dodge the question. Just <laughs> ducking and diving. So 
It is mailbag time. Mailbag time. My favorite time. <laughs> that is my favorite time of all of the times. And it's, it's the a good first time. time we've ever done it. Matt McLeod has sent us this question. And he Thank you, Matt. Didn't use the link. Very awkwardly sent it on an Instagram Classic. voice message. And I, I spent about 20 minutes inspecting the source code of the Instagram page to download it as a file and play it to you and on it here. It didn't integrate so, with RAI and the AI crashed. And Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't compatible. But here we go. Very good question from Matt. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm just curious on how you guys plan on working on the business and working in the business. Basically, how do you balance getting clients today versus continuing to get clients six months from now? You know, working on some type of project that is not urgent, but it's very important for getting you clients later on down the road and also making sure that you generate enough cash flow uh, currently with whatever strategy that may be. I'm just trying to figure out how to balance back and forth between those two uh, on a daily, possibly weekly, monthly basis. Thanks. What a question. Shame it was asked through the wrong channel, but we'll, we'll let that go. Do you want me to start or do you want to start? Yeah, go for it. So Yusuf and I both use variations of an idea that I think came from Dan Sullivan, I believe, uh, who runs a business called Strategic Coach. And one of his concepts is this idea of having a buffer day, a focus day, and then a free day. So a buffer day would be uh, a day where you do all of your admin, uh, you do anything that is basically short-term focus, so like the running of the business in Matt's question. A focus day would be no distractions, no email, no reactive work, purely things that are that fall into the not urgent but important category on the Eisenhower matrix, if you're familiar with that. And then a free day would just be zero work for 24 hours. And those are the hardest ones, to be honest. Uh, I think Yusuf and I still both fail at those. Um, but yeah, so you can either chunk your days up in like 50-50 splits, which I think is, I'll let Yusuf talk about that because I think that's what he does. Um, I try, it's very difficult to do, to be honest, but I will try and have one to two days in the week that are just blocked out for um, long-term things. So projects that if I didn't do them, probably nothing would happen. But equally, the fact that nothing would happen is kind of the point, right? Like it's the business is probably going to stay the same. I'm not going to really get to move the needle forward and move things like quarter to quarter, year to year. Um, the other way that I think about this is the the short-term view of your business. Try to turn that into a checklist or a workflow. So there'll be things that you have to do daily that are quite repetitive. It's a bit of a system that is the same each time you do it, more, more or less. So treat yourself like someone who's never done that before. So write that out in steps. Here are the things that I have to do on a Monday. Here are the things I have to do on a Tuesday. And over time, run that through a couple of iterations. You'll spot opportunities to like, actually, I could move this here or actually I could give that to somebody else or actually there's some software that does this. Or long-term, you can take that checklist and hire somebody to do it, right? So you, everything you do on a Monday, that's now done by an employee. And Monday's now a focus day instead of a buffer day. And then you're doing three days a week working on next quarter, next year. So ultimately, that's the part of the business that you can't really outsource, right? It's, it's thinking about how do I move things forward? How do I like dream up the vision of what this is going to be like in a year's time? It's not 
the replying to emails, checking with clients and stuff that is the same every day. So splitting those, I, I like to split it across the week, but there are other ways to do it as well. So I'll let Yusuf explain his his view. Yeah, so you've, you, you covered it there that you, you have got working on the business and you've got working in the business and you can't, especially in the early stages, you can't just do one or the other because something will set on fire and bite you in the bum. So splitting up your time and doing it throughout the week, as Johnny said there, you've got days of the week where you have buffer days and um, project days. And it does have to be a full day. It can't just be a time block because strategic thinking and big picture stuff takes up a lot of bandwidth and you can't just squeeze it in in 20 minutes between emails. It's a different headspace that you have to be in. So the fundamental concept is separating planning from execution. This is why we work in quarters and then we do an annual review so that we can make sure that we've, we're actually running fast but also running fast in the right direction. It's very easy to just lift your head up after maybe months or years of running in a certain direction and then being like, oh God, what, what have I, I've not even been paying attention to where, I've en- where I was meant to end up. Probably the whole of 2019 to 2021 for me, because I was working in hospital, quite busy, trying to just put out little fires with propane in the evenings. I felt like I was just running through life, just stumbling through um, off balance And it was only after taking stock and being like, okay, what are the days that I should be fully focusing on a project? And what are those needle mover projects to be doing? And then fit the other stuff in. Some people tend to one form of work over the other. So my tendency is to just try and clear all the inboxes and just get the shallow work out the way. And it pushes the big project work back. Other people might be the opposite. They're permanent planners. You know, they've got this big launch coming up and it's going to be sick and it's going to have an app and it's going to have AI and it's going to be amazing. And and they'll be like whiteboarding for six months and never actually get to launching anything and they don't have any clients. So you need both, but you just have to build it into your week and then have checkpoints, maybe every quarter, maybe every month or every year, however you want to split it to take stock of where you're going and that's how you do it that fully froze for me about halfway through your explanation so oh. if in the video i'm just going <laughs> <laughs> then that's that's why but it, it sounded like it didn't i mean obviously you didn't freeze for you did you you i you didn't freeze talking so that I and that's the, the ai that we've built so good that like one side of it can freeze and the other side doesn't um but yeah the the point so it's it's actually something that I've recently been focusing a lot of time on is aggressively trying to protect days in my week where like nothing gets scheduled. I don't do any reactive work at all. So I don't look at email. I don't look at our client management apps. I don't look at social media. I don't send marketing emails. And as soon as you think of it like that, you think, all right, okay. So on the day that's a buffer day, I have to do all of that stuff in advance. So I have to make sure that like all my clients responded to, everything's scheduled, everything's going to go out on time regardless. So that on Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, when you wake up and you think today is just project day, you don't feel that sense of like, oh yeah, but shit, like I need to do the that other thing because you've done it all. So it, it that's why having this planning view of like, this is how my week's going to go. This is what I'm going to do this, this month, this quarter. And then you just execute it. 
only when you view it like that can you actually have the clarity that you need to sit down and focus for even just a day. It's so much harder than it sounds. It's great for clarity and sanity and headspace as well, because trying to plan and execute at the same time, your brain just freezes because it's not designed to be doing both of those things at once. And a big part of productivity that we always talk about is not the tools and tactics. It's when you're doing a task, and this sounds so simple and facile, but doing that task fully and being at peace with all the tasks that you're not currently doing. Because if you're doing a task, but at the same time, you're carrying the burden of all the stuff that you should be doing, but you're not, your attention is going to be divided in a hundred ways. There's a video that we both laugh at, that we spoke about last night, actually, which is where David Allen, who is the founder of Getting Things Done, um, it's on YouTube, by the way, you can search this. It's like, it's only funny in sort of a sadistic, nasty way, but it is funny. So he, he, he walks this uh, like TV host through getting things done. She's going through and like processing her inboxes and all these sorts of things. Um, and he shows, she has like t- a table piled high with like all these things that she thinks that she needs. And his process is ju- he just has this tiny little notebook with one piece of paper and one thing written on it. And he's like, that's my, that's my capture list. And she like calls him crazy and, and all these sorts of things. Ends up crying actually. Um, but his point at the end is like, in order to fully engage with what you're doing, you have to be completely at peace with everything that you're not doing, which means two things. Firstly, you need to have actually, you need to understand what all of that is. So you need to have a complete picture of everything that you're not doing that you could do. And you need to have appropriately like looked at it and engaged with it and thought, actually, yeah, that's, that can wait that's not as important as this thing or that I need something else to happen or I need to wait for somebody or that's contingent on this project. But if you've just got all this like swirling around in your head and you sit down and you try to put a new program together, it, it'll be two minutes before you're like, oh yeah, I've got that thing that's due on Friday that I've completely forgot about. And I need, and before you know it, the, the project day, gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been eaten up by little it's awful. stuff. And the the reason this happens is because your mind is a, is sticky. So when you're doing a task, if something comes up and you're like, or you get a notification or something happens, the data shows that it takes between 13 and 18 minutes to get back into the flow of the original task that you're doing after an interruption. It's awful. And so if you're getting a, an internal or an external interruption more than every 15 minutes, you're not getting anything done. <laughs> you're just constantly in this like dancing around the sphincter state of not really getting into the deep work. And <laughs> what a phrase. So you, you've got to, to do be a day of to, being distracted, a hundred percent distraction. So you've got to clear the decks. And even when you're doing a task that you think, Oh, there's, you know, is this the most important thing? Or even when you're doing the most important thing, but you're still aware of all the other stuff, you it's game over. Hopefully that's answered your question, Matt. <laughs> and not made just made you sink into this like nihilistic view of productivity. Into this pit of despair. Um mm-hmm. well the solution is tick tick. Just throwing a little grenade there. For <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean I, I am experimenting with things. For those people who know what we're talking about, who've maybe heard us talk about this on Modern Wisdom, you'll know that that is a huge piece of news. It is major. Yeah. I was—I I thought someone had stolen Johnny's phone, to be honest, when yeah. he told me. You went into like this 
it was like a seizure almost, wasn't it? When I told you, it was weird. To I went watch. into bilateral flexion and my head turned to one side and started frothing at the mouth. Yeah. It... <laughs> but even things is better than Tick Tick. So just throwing the grenade back. It's, you know what? It's a very good app. They're both, they're both excellent. They're all great. Yeah. It, all of this is like arguing about, it's arguing about squat shoes and belts. But like, as long as you're progressing and as long as your squat technique's good, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, I think you could pick any of the, the good brands of that equipment and you're going to be able to have a good squat session. It's like when you see someone that's squatting in the gym with feet close together in ASICs, dad trainers, and mm. you know that if you offer them some Romalios or some added powers, yeah. it'll be an improvement. How often though do you see someone squatting in a in a commercial gym in like dad trainers with like perfect knee alignment, great depth, <laughs> great bar tracking? It's always the depth. It never happens. That's <laughs> the problem first. It's but, like, and valgus, valgus knee, like just this general look of like instability. <laughs> I, yeah. It's all Kelly Starrett's fault. This you know, but I have this visceral reaction to when I see people walking with their their knees in like a valgus position or when you see anybody do anything anything in the gym and their knees cave i can't help but like <laughs> yeah which is awful because i'm ugly. sure it's not as bad as kelly starette right collapse ankles yeah seeing the um the the sole of the ugg boots come out to the side and the knees collapse in and you're just like oh is that do you think that's like in 30 years time knee surgery or like hip surgery, something I upstream. I wouldn't want to speculate. I mean, it intuitively, it it's not great, is it? So, like that many cycles of sort of medial pressure on the part knee. of the joint. Yeah. yeah. Are we done? That's it. I think. <laughs> I have a question. I have a question for you, which is completely unrelated to running an online fitness business, but it's something that I hear a lot, and I imagine. PTs hearing listening will hear this a lot as well. So on the subject of like knee surgery and hip surgery and things like that, if you lift weights, you will probably have someone in your family or a friend who will say like, e, you're going to get, you'll get a bad back or you'll like damage your knees or you'll damage your hips. But I, all the people who I like know in my circle, social circle, who've had like knee problems or hip problems or back problems, back problems is different. Knee and hip, um, don't lift weights. They've got it from just sort of like sedentary living. Like they've bent down to pick something up or tripped over a curb or something like that. And I, I know it's, there's a smaller number of people I know who lift weights. So it's not a fair sample size comparison, but I don't know anyone who's like needed knee surgery or needed hip surgery. Yet. So I know you're going to say you don't want to spe- you don't want to speculate or get cancelled as a doctor on the internet, <laughs> but but what do you think about like the risk profile of lifting weights over time for something like needing a hip replacement, needing a knee replacement? Lifting weights will have a inverted U curve of risk reward. So the inverted U is the idea that, and many things apply to this, like certain supplements and drugs and behaviors and, and, you know, things like sleep and meditation and eating and all this stuff follows an inverted U curve, which is at a very, very low amount, it's bad for you. And at an extremely high amount, it's bad for you. 
but if you do a moderate amount, it's probably quite good for you. So things like, I guess you could apply this to running, you could apply it to things like red wine and uh, money, you know, in fact, pretty much anything. And so... Hang on, hang on a second. So like, are you saying that zero red wine is worse for you than some red wine? According to some of the data, but they think that this is maybe because people that drink red wine tend to be... Social. Yeah. There's there's more, you know, they might be a bit more wealthy and so on. But then if you drink loads of red wine, probably not great. So the money money is a weird one. It is, yeah. Money and sleep, zero sleep and twenty hours, 20 of, hours sleep of a day, sleep. not good for you. So lifting water. weights will follow water, same thing. Yeah, oxygen. The, the the question is, how do you find the top of that U, inverted U curve? And I think mm. for lifting probably something like a 140 kilo squat, like getting your lifts up for a man, for a woman, maybe say two plates, getting up to decent amount of response from lifting, not so heavy that you're really teetering against the edges of human physiology. You've improved your bone density, your, your mitochondrial expressions, your, um, your life length, all these kind of things from the positive effects of lifting but you've not exposed yourself to the risks of what happens when you put 300 kilos on your back you know the health benefits of going from a 200 to a 300 kilo squat probably quite small <laughs> that's yeah that's true i think one 140 my, my issue with that is like when you hit a 140 squat do you just then squat 140 for the rest of your life cause health do you know what i mean so that's like, a good is question that, is that healthy I would say it's similar to if you and I wanted to just like get a bit better cardiovascular fitness and there's a major low hanging fruit for that. I don't know about you, but mine's terrible. My steps. So I've been, I've been doing this recently. I've been going for runs. Really? Yeah. Johnny. Wow. Okay. So it's embarrassing. So there's the question. Like if you got a 5k number, a 5k runtime, that's like, okay. Do you I've got this data. I've literally got this data. (laughs) <laughs> to share with you over a six week period of having gone from no running to w- running once a week my wow okay yeah. so so it's the same as that then like when when you hit a target would you say right i'm going to just keep getting it better and better or do you say right there's an opportunity cost of getting my 5k time from however many minutes i don't even know what's a reasonable 5k time but well um so i was i was literally speaking to becca about this the other day so i when i was 105 kilos I ran 5K with Becca and almost passed out. And that's not an exaggeration. I'm not surprised. Like it was horrific. Well, that's, that's horrific. me doing it with a 25 kilo plate. Yeah, weighted pack on. Yeah. And I imagine at that time, probably our cardiovascular fitness was about the same. Maybe mine was slightly better because I was, I was do, trying to do CrossFit at the time as well. Um, so, I, and this is a whole other conversation, but our friend Ben wanted to do 75 hard. I don't know whether anybody's, but you probably have heard of that. So I'm doing like a watered down version of it for a bit of accountability with him. So one of the things I added in, I'm still just lifting weights three days a week. One of the things I added in was like, oh, I'll go for a little run. <laughs> like that might be nice. Because I used to be into running. I used to run when I, like that's how I like lost weight initially. I did the Great North Run. And I, I had this idea of like, I'm probably not going to stop like powerlift to like do comp- competitive powerlifting again, but wouldn't it be cool if I could deadlift in the same week, like 300 kilos and do a decent 5k time, like, doesn't that sound exciting? So I thought, well, I'll do that. So 
did an initial 5k, got like 29 something. Um, and last week did 24 something. And my goal for the year was to just break 25 minutes. So in six weeks, I've got like, so I looked at the park run times and I know this is not a, this is not a, um, an example of like elite running, but that would have placed me like out of 350 people in a local park run, it, I think it placed me top 30 or something like that. Really? And then wow. just from six weeks of running. So I was speaking to Becca about this, like at what point, and I've been getting like linear progress week by week. At what point does the linear progress stop with cardiovascular fitness? So it's the same question. It's like, where's this, where's this tipping point at which like to improve that time, I'm going to have to start like just getting in the wheelie bin once a week to improve yeah. versus like getting the health benefits well, then, of whatever that is. This is where I can see why people get addicted to the Tim Ferriss lifestyle of like going to China, learning Chinese kickboxing for six weeks, yep. just like getting the majority of that upswing of learning the new skill mm -hmm. and then going to go like speak, learn conversational Spanish and learn to cook 10 really nice dishes and then go, you know, because you're just getting the best of the the initial learning of each skill before it starts to get really grindy. Difficult. Like I imagine yeah. golf is a bit like that, like... A hundred percent. Oh my God. Yeah. Golf, what I, golf's an entirely separate conversation, but what I really like about golf is it, it trains you for the rest of life psychologically. So there's, it's, it's very unfair. A lot of the time you can have strokes of luck and times when luck really works against you. You can work really hard and be really consistent. One day, everything goes great. The next day, everything goes terribly. And you're just out there for three hours with you and your thoughts if things are going badly, you just have to learn to go back to the process when things are going badly. It It's so difficult at the time because at the time you just want to throw your club and like snap things and shout. But if you just make it through this, I think there's so many benefits. But anyway, it's not, it's not about golf, but, um, the, yeah. So I, I struggle with this a lot because I feel like I don't want to, I don't want to end up with a, with a hip replacement or a knee replacement. But I don't know anyone who's like met this criteria for me, right? Like everybody I know who's needed those things isn't involved in physical fitness. I'm like, well, if if I'm going to need a knee replacement anyway from just being a person, might as well try and increase my squat in the meantime. So maybe a way to reframe it was, let's say you never really got into lifting weights. And by the age of 30, you found that you enjoyed yoga you became a yoga teacher, you really enjoyed doing yoga, pretty flexible, but you get under a, a bar with 60 kilos and you're like, yeah. So at that point, would you, if you were reasonable and rational, would you be like, oh, you know what? I should probably lift weights for a little bit and just get a bit stronger. Right. I see. Like build up that attribute, build up that skill to the point where it's reasonable. Yeah. Until you get to the point where let's say you're squatting 140 the gains are no longer 2.5 kilos a week. They're no longer 2.5 kilos a Got month. It. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to have to actually like really periodize my, <laughs> my program and start going quite deep into this to add 10 kilos to my squat. So, so the game is then like look, hunt for weaknesses and just get them up to a decent standard. I don't know where I stand on this. Maybe this is for another podcast, but because the, there's a book that came out recently, I can't remember what it's called, about being a... 
a jack of all trades being balanced and being able to just kind of be okay at everything because that that's a competitive advantage in itself mm-hmm. but there was another one counter thought to this which is fuck your weaknesses just double down on your strengths double and down. Yeah. completely like anything you're bad at don't even try which also i can see the logic in it and i don't know so i'm, I'm rereading models not models principles by ray dalio and one of the things he talks about is like you need to recognize your weaknesses but just hire hire people i don't know it's in, that's in a business context right but like he's saying like you can try there's, there's two ways you can approach a weakness one of them is like you try and improve upon it but realize that if it's a weakness it's a weakness for a reason or realize you're weak at that and then just look for a solution to that problem it's not quite the same when it comes to like i can't squ- i can't squat more than 60 kilos so i'm going to hire somebody to, to just squat the weight for me but it is difficult isn't it because the yoga teacher if they're doubling down on yoga the, uh, or then taking some of that time away and some of that flexibility probably away to then squat and improve their squat like i imagine there's a negative effect on yoga for a short period of time yeah so i suppose then in that example and in business it's about recognizing what is the good enough threshold where it's not causing mm-hmm. me problems by not having this and just get it up to that um but then you know, where, where does that stop so like should you and i be learning spanish do you know what i mean like where well, at what point you then have to have this other filter of like what are the things that i care about that i'm going to then try to get up to a reasonable standard and how do you make that assessment so that's where you look at your values and your your overall life mission and principles and you say okay what are the things that are important to me do you know who's good at this emil he's a guy yeah he's just a, a guy living in mexico having living actually living his best life because he's got three values i think that are very clear and he just lives by them one of them being a lot freedom financial freedom and not being uh being sovereign as a person and he's financial freedom is such a trigger word that active campaign warn you about sending an email with that phrase in Uh oh yeah i've Uh-oh. just just tanked the uh well the, no no the podcast machine has heard the the word now there is no podcast machine though is, is there that's the thing you can say whatever you want on a podcast whatever you want <laughs> within reason as and so can you if you send us a voice message <laughs> by clicking on the link in the description i fully derailed that didn't i i apologize hopefully well, it was somewhat useful hopefully you guys are glad that we're back for our constant derailings <laughs> it's just going to be a season of derailings to be honest so for anybody who listens to modern wisdom and watches chris try as hard as you can to stop us from derailing the conversations all of the derailings that would have happened there happen here so, <laughs> so if you enjoy modern derailings. wisdom if you enjoy modern wisdom and want all of the derailing best bits come back here for more of this that's it so send us a message and we will speak to you soon bye want to learn more about the systems we use to run 
buildandscalepropanefitness.com. Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels, the best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.